You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carl Stebbings and Matt Smith. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> and Merry Christmas, everyone. We're back again for episode 93 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. Yeah. I'm Carl Stebbings, and we're in the kitchen studio we still. Yeah, absolutely. Is, yeah. Uh, is Matt, my co-host. I, um, I feel like I've been here forever. I know, I, I know. <laughs> So uh, those you yes, it goes, those, we're very full now. <laughs> Christmas Day is done and dusted. <laughs> All right, it's now on to the New Year festivities. What's happening in the world of Carl? Over, are, are you working this year? No, no. I, oh wow! I, I, actually, I, actually, I actually finish um, finish work on the twenty third. Yes, which is probably up before this episode goes out after this episode goes out before this episode i don't know it'll be oh, it'll before this before episode, this, episode this, this is the new year yeah one. i know so the 20 <laughs> 23rd i finished and i go back to work on the 4th of january mm, wow yeah 24th of january did you no say? on the 4th oh, right. <laughs> God, i wish it was the 24th <laughs> oh, bring up work i'm not gonna come back to the 24th yeah. yeah good luck with that yeah well we 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 break up on the 18th we bake up on the on the friday which is um, 18th yeah absolutely that oh, is so unfair <laughs> i know and we go back sort of I don't that's know, like so. next week yeah we we yeah, yeah we are recording this i should just say oh, just, just uh are on the 12th of december that's why we're sort of talking about it. that's why we're a bit confused as to what day it is and things like that but uh yes and, and then we go back just in the new year so i think it's third or fourth of january we go back something like that so um hmm. If it's any consolation, I, I, I will be uh, helping deliver parcels in between. But uh, yes, essentially, Lamberts are are sh- we always shut down between uh, Christmas and New Year, which is always nice. I like the sound of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, there was a time where where you work used to do exactly. Yeah, that. yeah, we did used to have a <laughs> shut down over Christmas, yeah. but I, I've managed to book the days off that we would have gone back during Christmas. So. Right. Okay. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. There's I a like surprise. That. Yeah, I like that. So we hope you've had a festively, wonderfully, marvelous Christmas to all our listeners, Indeed. and uh, thanks for uh, thanks mm. for downloading the show. Because uh, this is a pre-recorded is, show, yes, not yes. a live show we're doing today. Yeah, yeah, we've we've treated ourselves to uh, to a couple of weeks off, haven't we? Just uh, for yeah. good behaviour, we've been good boys and girls. But we hope you've in, uh, enjoyed the first um, instalment mm. from the Aviation Museum. Yeah, we done it last week. Yes, yeah, that was good. Number ninety-one. Yeah, yeah. that was pretty cool. Um, next week. Yes. Um, as this goes out, yes. Uh, next week we'll we'll be back to uh, normal uh, yes. schedule. Live shows. Live yes. shows again. Uh, which will be cool. Yeah. So don't forget that'll be that'll be episode ninety three. Went up. God, we're getting close to a hundred. Yeah, I know. We've got to do something special for the hundred. Yeah. What are we going to do for the hundred? Um, oh, that'll be. We'll have to have a production meeting. Oh, we we'll will. Have to try yeah. and decide what we're going to do. We're going to have to do something special for that. Aren't we? Yeah, we definitely are. But uh, anyway, enough of this. New Year is rapidly looming, or has been. I'm not Always quite been. sure. I, uh, I can't remember. But Matt uh, will schedule these. these uh, yes, episodes these will be out. scheduled accordingly. Uh, so, so we've got uh, we've got the second half. Then uh, it's a slightly longer half of mm. the um, the Malta Aviation Museum interview that I took with Ray Polidano. Yeah, and. Uh, Another awesome uh, segment for you to listen to uh, following round the various aircraft on display at the museum. Mm. Um, again, we've said this before and I've said it before, um, you know, you, if you're going to go to uh, on holiday next year uh, in Europe, um, it, Malta's a lovely island. I've been there so many times now, I've, I've lost count. <laughs> um, the museum is fantastic. You've got to go to the Malta Aviation Museum. Mm. It's based on the... Uh, it's an old uh, World War Two base, uh, Tikali, or right. Tali, mm. as they say in uh, Malta. Yep. Because uh, the Qs are silent. It's oh, TQ. Right, okay. um, 
and uh, yeah, if you go to www.maltaaviationmuseum.com, you can see loads of uh, great pictures and stuff. And there's also a list on there. It'll tell you what you can see at the at the museum. And there's a lot of actual. There's a lot of uh, ex Royal Air Force aircraft there as oh, well, really? which have been donated, which is uh, really good. really good. good. Um, so we've got that second half yeah. to play for you, and we're going to play that for you right now. Okay, so we're into inside another hangar now. What's uh, what's this hangar, Ray? This is the main exhibition hangar. It, it houses um, basically fifth, 1950s jets and other aircraft, but. There is also, um, like we're looking at a, a Piper Cub, which is going to be representing the invasion of Sicily in, in 43. Um, as you know, most, most Piper Cubs that you see flying in the UK are um, representing the invasion of Normandy, so mm. they'll have the invasion stripes and, and stuff like that. But uh, in our case, because this is the Mont Aviation Museum, we'll try to uh, actually establish that Piper Cubs, the L4 um, uh, liaison aircraft, we actually used, uh, first of all, in North Africa during Operation Torch. Um, that's the first time the Americans used them, um, flying them off USS Ranger. And then um, the one we're doing is going to be representing the invasion of Sicily, which for us on Malta um, was important because once Sicily was taken, then um, September of '43 we were out of the war because uh, then we were out of range of enemy bombers. Mm. But, um, there's, a, there's a book called uh, Grasshopper Pilot that actually describes the operation of a Piper Cub uh, taking off from an LSD on Sicily and flying the, um, completely the, the, the first day of the operations on Sicily and actually getting a medal uh, that in the same evening <laughs> for, for his duties. So this particular Piper then Cub, this was this built completely from 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 new from scratch. No, no, this this um, spent some time in the UK. It was actually registered G uh, four um, for um, L four sort of, and I think it was damaged in a hangar. The hangar roof fell on top of it. Mm. Then it was purchased by a guy in Germany, um, who eventually gave up on restoring it, and we bought it off him. So it's it's. Um, going to be sort of the, the fuselage is now standing on its undercarriage but uh, when it within arrived it, it was in a very poor state <laughs> so the skin that's got to go over is that going to be uh, what type of skin is it's on the aircraft covered. fabric covered yeah. yeah in fact the, the uh, brother is already fa- um, fabric covered in the next stages we have to fit um, a couple of stringers that's the wood you, you see on the side of the aircraft um, on the side to give it a more rounded shape and once those done, uh, then we, we fabric cover it. Um, before we could do that, we had to actually fit out all the um, pr- uh, control cables and stuff because you can't reach them once you put the uh, cover on. So that's all done. And so the next stage is getting the fabric cover. And what type of engine is uh, going to be powering it? This is a four-cylinder. Mm. Um, it's a Continental A65. It's actually in a, in a box somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> But no, so you're hoping to uh, get this flying for, for next year? Yes, well, not really next year, maybe the year after. Year after, okay. It always depends on, again, manpower and, and finances. Um, ever so often, we sort of save up enough money to be able to buy, like in that box, we've got a set of ribs for one wing, because after, after the fuselage is done, then we can concentrate on the wings. Mm. And the wings have um, basically got four um, spruce main spars which have got to be purchased with uh, paperwork and stuff. The ribs are aluminium made, but uh, it's, it's very hard to get hold of um, nowadays. But we managed to get through eBay um, 
a nice set of, of, of ribs for, for one wing. Oh, that's great. That'd be nice to see this um, flying in a few years' time. Um, as you say, it's a popular aircraft in the UK. Yeah, you can see them flying at ducks, but mm. they're, they're called grasshoppers, and that's <laughs> what they actually do. They actually take off and land in no space at all, and usually they perform uh, like legends. And two of them would be performing, landing against each other, and just sitting on the grass, and then just opening the throttle again and, and flying off, <laughs> landing again. It's, it, they're fun to fly. These, um, before the war started, were actually the J3s that were painted yellow, and they used to train hundreds of pilots in the, in the US um, how to fly. And then once the Second World War started, they were given more windows at the back, turned them into an observation aircraft, and started their wartime service. Oh, that is awesome. That is so, such a good... It'll be, it'll, like I said, it'd be lovely to see this aircraft flying, as it will be all the aircraft. Really. It'll be nice to see all the aircraft flying. So behind us here, then, um, what, uh, what's this aircraft here, right? This Ray? is a T-6G Texan. Now, uh, the Texan, um, when used by the RAF, was called Harvard. And the main difference between the Texan and the Harvard was the instrumentation and the joystick. On the Texan, you'll find um, a regular joystick. On the uh, Harvard, you, you find a spade grip. Um, this was the second uh, aircraft that pilots used to continue their flying um, training on. First, they used to start on aircraft like the Tiger Moth. And then most often they would continue on the on the Harvard, which is um, more complex. It's got retractable undercarriage, variable pitch propeller, um, heavier. It's got more horsepower. This has got a 540 horsepower engine against 130. Uh, this was the aircraft that was actually the um, stepping stone, the springboard, to go and fly Spitfires and Hurricanes solo. So it was quite quite a jump for the trainee pilot from 540 horsepower and to go and fly a 1,300-something um, Spitfire. And obviously the Spitfire is a, a lot less, or a lot uh, stream, more streamlined than this oh particular yes. aircraft. Both Spitfire and Hurricane, they're heavier, and you can just imagine most of the pilots would have been like around about 18-year-old or 19, so giving them all that horsepower to play with was some, sometimes con- considered lethal. So this 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 air, the Texan then we're standing next to looks looks ready to fly right I have to say it looks um, yeah this this was given to the museum by the Italian Air Force um, they were in turn given about two hundred and something of them after the Second War ended by the Americans and they were used to retrain uh, Italian pilots and start the a new Italian Air Force after after the Second World War as were also the the Luftwaffe they 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 were using them also. Um, and the number of these uh, was still dotted around Italy. Uh, some, some of them as gate guardians, and some are just lying around. Um, and we sort of asked the Italian Air Force if we could have one uh, of these. And this one was actually being used at the University of Bologna. Um, they got a, a training um, place in Forli, which is a, an airfield next to Bologna. And it was used to train uh, engineers, um, uh, aeronautical engineering. And they weren't using it any longer, and um, the Italian Air Force decided or sort of pinpointed this one as the aircraft that they wanted to give to us. So we brought it over from Italy last year. Um, we found out it was in brilliant condition. In fact, we've, at the moment, we're cleaning it out. It's got the panels open, and we're hoping to start, be able to start the engine up eventually. Oh, wow. That must be, that'd be great to see the engine start up on this yeah, aircraft. Yeah. <laughs> 
So on, on the actual, looking at the aircraft itself, just behind the uh, canopy here, there's kind of a, is that kind of a radar, a radio? Um, uh, yes, the radio antenna, mm. and the other one is the direction finder, the black um, aerodynamic um, looking thing. That, that was used to be able to locate or help in navigation. But the other um, must is simply to hang on the, uh, the um, antenna wires. Okay. No, it is, it's fantastic. I love the colour as well, and the orange. Obviously, they'll be able to, the listeners will be able to see the colour of the aircraft yes, here. This was a colour much used by the Italians, the orange colour as a training colour. In, um, in England um, and Canada, they, they use the RAF training yellow. It's a bit canary-like um, colour. And he's still, it's got, still got its original uh, registration markings on the side. Yeah, that's got um, SL, means uh, Scola Lecce. Scola School and Lecce is the um, place where the school was um, situated. Obviously, 36 would be the number of the aircraft a student would be allocated. You can apply 36 today's order. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So move round, looking around the aircraft here. So it's fantastic. Moving round to the air, the uh, air intakes here. What a fantastic looking engine, right? Yeah, this is the Pratt and Whitney 1340. It's it's a nine cylinder, uh, radial engine. Um, Pratt and Whitney used to produce uh, very dependable engines, and in fact, that's that's their sort of motto: dependable engines. Um, they used to have the 985, which is smaller. Um, then the 1340, and then um, the, the, the next one up would be the um, uh, 183092, which was used on the DC-3. Now, that was a real engine that um, on DC-3s, they used to carry all sorts of stuff right through the Second World War and after, and some of them are even flying nowadays. The um, most interesting thing about this engine is the propeller. Um, it doesn't have any reduction gear. So and, and the engine is running at full throttle, the, the tips of the propeller go supersonic and you hear a rasping sound coming from the engine. And this is very noticeable on, on Harvard. I to say, it's just fact, we'll obviously get some photos of this, right, but it looks, it just looks, you know, as I say, you could eat your dinner off this aircraft, it's so clean. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. Uh, but uh, but hopefully, you say, that once the um, cleaning's done on the aircraft, you can then uh, sort of fire the engine up. Hopefully, that's, that's uh, what we're hoping to do or, or planning to do. So, if you're going to fire this engine up, if this was running now, would you just wheel it, put it out the front of the hangar here? Um, you can't start an engine up inside the hangar. That's always done outside, and then usually once we're uh, closed from visitors, so there wouldn't be any danger. And then uh, we just fire it up. So it's your own private uh, viewing and and listening of the engine. That must be yeah, must yeah. be great. <laughs> so we'll move round to the next aircraft, which is. Uh, doesn't have a propeller this one it's a jet aircraft I here we go so what's this aircraft right right this is a Fiat G91 it's uh, an Italian aircraft um, this this was an, an aircraft that started the concept of um, NATO countries having a standard fighter um, nowadays we have uh, the um, Eurofighter the, the Typhoon and before that we had the uh, Tornado that was sort of built by a, a lot of the NATO countries, some of them contributing one thing, um, another country contributing the engine and this sort of thing. But way back in the 80s, um, this, this concept was started by NATO. They ran a competition, and the Italians won it by producing uh, a smaller version of the F-86 Sabre. Um, they were building the F-86 under license, so obviously they knew the F-86 inside out. 
and they simply done a smaller version of it. And the reason was that uh, at that time the uh, idea um, was that in, in the event of a war, the main target would be the runways. So they wanted an aircraft small enough to be able to operate from the motorways, if need be, like they do in Switzerland. You've got um, hangars actually dug into the mountainside. They just taxi out, go on the motorways, and fly off uh, operationally. And, and this was the concept done that time. Um, the aircraft was actually used by the Italians themselves, the, the Luftwaffe, and the Portuguese. Um, at that time, the RAF had hunters, and the um, French had mirages, so they didn't want to use... Um, this thing, but it was still the start of the of the concept. Wow, well, I must say. So, how how did this aircraft get uh, get to the museum here? Was this brought in in in, in pieces? Yes, yes. Um, we uh, on Malta we have um, what is called the Italian military mission. They're um, a group of Italians that uh, um, trained Maltese uh, the the art of air rescue um, with helicopters. And the the commanding officer at one time was Colonel uh, Zucchi, and they took a liking to the museum. And she said, I'll get you an aircraft donated from Italy. And sure enough, he managed to do it. And this was the, this uh, Fiat was the first ever uh, military aircraft given away by the Italian Air Force to some other country. So we're, we're first in this sort of thing. Um, yeah, it came from the uh, Verona on a, on a trailer. Then the Italian Air Force sent some uh, engineers to assemble it and um, displayed in the museum. So this aircraft itself, is, is this in uh, flight condition? No, no, this has been um, what we call neutered. <laughs> uh, it doesn't have an engine, and um, some of the uh, electric cables have been um, cut out and this sort of thing, um, most probably to, to make it... Uh, there was a period when each country had to demolish a certain number of aircraft as um, part of the peace agreement, and they usually were lined in, in, in the airfields, and then they could be photographed by satellite that they were actually being um, destroyed. Um, and this one, since it was going to be given to a museum, um, instead of destroying it, they sort of neutered it. They took the engine off, um, filed off the engine um, mountings, and they sort of cutting off the electrical connections and stuff. But it's still a very nice exhibit. I was going to say, you've obviously inside you've still got all the, um, the yes. seats and all the controls. And all the and instrumentation, and yeah. Oh, it's a great, it's a great exhibit, and I, I'd imagine a very noisy uh, aircraft when this was flying with that engine. Yeah, yeah. This this had the uh, Rolls Royce Orpheus engine, uh, quite a small engine, but in this aircraft could w- was actually used by the Fletcher Tricolore um, as their their aerobatic okay. team, and it used to go supersonic in a shallow dive. So it was quite fast and noisy, but that's something we Maltese like. The noisier, the better. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll move on to the next exhibit um, in the hangar here. Slightly different uh, exhibit, this one, uh, Ray. Yes, this is the nose section of an English electric lightning. Um, after service in the RAF, it, it finished up in, on a roundabout, and then it eventually was cut up and, and scrapped. But uh, a guy called Russell Carpenter um, saved the cockpit section and uh, put it in his back garden until his wife told him to um, get rid of it. <laughs> then he gave it to us. Um, but Russell actually has got uh, another Lightning, a T5 version, a D- D2, um, two-seat version at Cranfield, which uh, can actually go down the runway on afterheat for a couple of seconds. So there's some lucky people who could afford to actually pay for sitting in the cockpit and get taken down the runway 
um, and shut off the engine just before takeoff. Wow. So is this quite uh, one of your earlier exhibits you've, you've had here at the uh, museum? Um, yeah, it came mid, midway through the existence of the museum, something like about 12 years ago. But it's popular, I expect it's popular with a lot of the English um, people who have probably oh, yes. seen these uh, flying in the UK. Well, these, these were the aircraft used in the Cold War to chase after the bears that the Russians used to fly over um, the UK or NATO countries. In fact, it was explained to us that... Uh, um, while the the Russians were being chased by aircraft like the Javelin, uh, Lightnings, uh, and then the Tornadoes, and now the Eurofighters, uh, the Russians themselves are still using the same antique aircraft. <laughs> and they still are now? Yes, yes. There's still bears flying around the UK now? A couple of weeks ago, there were still episodes being recorded of them flying over the UK. And are the typhoons chasing them away? Yeah. <laughs> so that is brilliant. It's very good. So moving on to... Now, this is uh, completely different now, Ray, to uh, all the rest of the aircraft. Oh, yeah, this is the uh, Denny Kit Fox. It's a microlight. Um, it's got the advantage of having folding wings. So um, you could actually, after you finish flying, especially here on Moto, and hangarage over at Lua is a bit of a problem, as you just um, fold the wings up and tow it behind the, uh, your, your car and take it back to home and place it in your garage. But this this, is this one flies. Yeah, it uh, it hasn't flown for a while, but it, it's yeah, it's a flying condition aircraft. Um, you could say it's a continuation. We've got another one, uh, another microlight called the Flying Flea, um, and that was the start of like microlighting. This is the extension of that sort of concept. When you have a, uh, an aircraft that could carry a maximum of two persons, um, not exceeding a certain number of uh, uh, weight. And uh, the advantage being that you could do your own maintenance so long as it's signed off by uh, a licensed engineer. So have you flown in, in one of these before, right? Oh, yes, yes, mm -hmm. a couple of times. Yeah. Oh, Step great. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it must, be, it must be a very easy aircraft to control. It's being so, it looks a very light aircraft. Uh, not this one. This is a bit, um, <laughs> because of its short moment and uh, it's a tail dragger, it, it's quite lively when, when it's on the runway. <laughs> <laughs> with a crosswind especially yes <laughs> crosswind no it's great Ray it's lovely lovely looking small aircraft I'll we'll take a picture of this one and the air engine in that is a it's a bomber. Rotex oh, it's Rotex. a Rotex Bombardier no it's, it's lovely it's very nice especially if you come the other side you have a look see the, uh, what's expected of the of, ah. of the flight in it with the the, uh, the, the uh, Yosemite's Wild Ride yeah, on the uh, side of the aircraft painted. Very good, very good. And it's actually quite good artwork on there, right? <laughs> not yours, not your, uh, your artwork? No, no, it's David's. Uh, he's actually painted it. Oh, it's very detailed. It's very good, right? But uh, I can't, couldn't imagine uh, driving along and seeing one of these being towed by a car um, in the UK. I don't know if you... <laughs> no, they do it. Mm. We did worse here on Malta. We towed the DC-3 behind um, a truck. Oh, wow. All the way from Lua. Um, that's that's the, the only way we could get it over here when we got donated it. So we had to wait for a nice dark night and start off 10 o'clock at night and then tow it all the way to the museum. Um, took us about 12 hours to, <laughs> to do it. I bet that would have been a great sight to see. So in the corner of this hangar then, uh, Ray, another um, slightly larger... Well, a larger exhibit, but uh, just a nose section. Yes. What's, uh, what's this aircraft, Ray? Well, this is a BAC-111. Oh. Um, it was an airliner 
built in the 1980s. The, the first in the UK to have a T-tail and the engines at the back. Um, they were eventually banned from flying because of the noise um, situation. They were a bit noisy. The, the Spey engines were very noisy. Even with a hush kit, mm. they still produced a lot of noise. Um, we had four of them uh, coming to Malta to be scrapped. Um, two of them were completely scrapped and we were given this cockpit section. And the other two, one is, is used at MIA um, to train people how to... Uh, I think I've seen that parked oh. on the... Um, the, on the, the, the far end, yeah, mm. on the other side. Yeah, what, uh, did you know what airline this originally flew with? This was originally Court Airlines. The uh, that was an airline yeah. used to have different colours. That's it, Court line, yeah. This was, I think, pink <laughs> at when it was with Court, and then BAE, and finally it finished up in Nigeria, so Al Barka. Oh, wow. wow. Yes, Court lines, one of the airlines I remember in the UK having the the pink and the orange colour, mm-hmm. and they also they flew one of my favourite aircraft, which is the L ten eleven TriStar. They had uh, their, those aircraft in their fleet. But uh, no, it's, it's great, great to see that uh, one of one of a British-built uh, passenger jets here. So, um, in, in fact, this this started the concept of having a T-tail with the engines in the back. Um, unfortunately, ran into a couple of problems with was uh, was something called the deep stall, and in fact, the the prototype actually crashed. And uh, by the time that they sorted out the problems, the uh, Douglas came out with the DC-9 and took most of the market. Mm-hmm. The usual thing. Which was a very similar aircraft to the yes, BAC-111. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So moving on to the next uh, exhibit next here, and uh, I think I've seen one of these uh, before, Ray. Tell the listeners what this... This is a Meteor F9, F8, sorry. Uh, it's the fighter version. Um, we used to have these here on Malta, uh, used by auxiliary squadrons, and this is in fact representing 500 squadron. And they used to come to this place here at the Ali for the summer camps. Um, auxiliaries were university students mostly studying during the weekend and flying in the weekends. So every summer they used to come around either in meteors or vampires. And we used to have the Americans acting as the aggressors and doing sort of war games um, here on the Ali and uh, in the skies over Malta. Uh, this was donated to the museum by David Dalton. I was um, doing his national service. Um, with one of these auxiliary squadrons and was actually based on Ta'ali for a couple of months during these summer camps. So he wanted to remember these days by giving us um, an example. It still needs a lot of TLC, as you can see, but that's we, have, we can only do one aircraft after the other. Well, it looks to me, Ray, like it just needs a, a coat of paint and it's ready to go. Yeah, in, in most, because um, the museum has three different um, standards of exhibits. You have the static one that is basically just painting the aircraft and making it look nice and this sort of things, but nothing would work inside. It wouldn't have any engines usually, or if it ha- does have an engine, it wouldn't work. Uh, and then you have the taxiing kind, like the Hurricane, and then you have the, the airworthy ones. Obviously, the airworthy ones would be the least expensive ones to uh, retain airworthy. Like we, when we started with the Tiger Mod, it's um, in, rela- in relation to um, a Harvard, which would really gobble up all your fuel <laughs> in, in no time. Um, this, this is a, um, one of those examples that's going to be restored just to um, static condition. So as you said, just to go to paint.
But it, it does, I mean, even now, in, in a condition, it looks in really good condition now. I mean, I know the, obviously the paintwork needs doing, but, you know, it, it does, it looks in great condition. You know, it's got obviously got the wheels and the undercarriage tyre, the good tyres on there. Mm. Um, you know, it's a, it's a brilliant exhibit to have here, right? It is. Um, and this, this was the RAF's first operational jet, of course, the, the early, earlier version of the Meteor. Um, so, and the, the fact that it was actually used here on Malta um, increases its value. So we're, we're exhibiting something that a lot of people in the 19, up to 1957 remember flying from this base here at the Ali. Yeah, we've, uh, we've seen a few of these flying at the air shows in the UK this year. Back in, uh, back in the UK, they've had, uh, had one of these flying there. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's um, at least a, um, a 13 um, and, and then T7, the trainer version. I don't know about the F8s if there are any flying it as such. But it is is a is a fantastic exhibit. Just be up be up close to this is very nice as well. I mean that's one of the things what I have to say about this this your museum here, Ray, is that at least the public you can actually, you know, get close to the aircraft and see whereas a lot of museums you tend to go to in the UK, you're kept quite far back through uh, by barriers. So that is one of the special things you do have here, Ray, is the ability to people can actually you know, get close to yes, the aircraft. That's one thing we like to um, allow visitors to do. Um, even like the, the BAC 111, they can go in and people handle the controls and this sort of thing. So long as they um, leave the exhibit as they found it, it doesn't matter. The only barriers we, we have are the uh, airworthy aircraft. Um, that's Expensive aircraft. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You you can't expect people to actually sit down inside these aircraft without any supervision. Um, so we have to put barriers around them. So the next exhibit here we've got in front of us, Ray, which uh, another one we should all know in the UK. Well, this is the NF14. Um, it's the ninth fighter version of the the, um, the Meteor. It was the last version of the Meteor. Um, it was actually built by Armstrong Whitworth, who was also um, like done a, a new design on the canopy. Usually, meteors, the, the two-seat ones, have got like a greenhouse canopy with a lot of um, supports in, in, in the middle. Armstrong Whitworth produced the uh, the usual uh, canopy that we know nowadays on, on most aircraft, well, even some of the Second World War ones. Um, this was originally a night fighter. But later on, it, it was uh, used as a navigational trainer. So it's got a radar in front. That's why it's got its, that long nose. And they had, obviously, to counteract the um, sort of drag produced by the nose by um, enlarging the tail a bit and even increasing the wingspan of the aircraft. So where did this particular uh, one come from, Ray? Where did you uh, get donated this? Well, this was restored in the UK. And um, then when, when they finished it, uh, they were told to to move it, and the same guy, David um, Dalton, actually offered that if they wanted to bring it over to Malta, he'll pay for the transport, and they did <laughs> accept, and it was brought over. So this was um, already restored. This this is um, you could say a glorified static aircraft because it's got if you jack it up, you can actually retract the undercarriage. It's, the electrics are working. Though it doesn't have engines, but it's still a, a lot of this stuff um, work. So it's much more than just static. You've got controls that actually move inside the cockpit. You've got the full instrumentation inside. So it's, it's, a, it's a much 
better standard of static aircraft. Wow, that's, that's awesome. So you could just plug in your uh, ground supply and um, yeah. yeah, everything would light up inside. Exactly, yeah. Except for the engines, of course, it doesn't have any. Yeah. I bet it's, it's great to see this out. I mean, this, this again is in, is in great condition, I think, Ray. It is. Yeah. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. The Voices in Your Head.com. Well, hello everyone. This is uh, Matt here, the producer of uh, and uh, many other functions that are involved with the Plane Talking UK. We have just literally finished recording episode number 91 and we're saying goodbye to everyone in the chat room for uh, 2015 because it's our last live show. Uh, I feel sick now. Right, sorry. Sorry, we just see. Uh, several people have sort of sent messages asking how we put the show together. So I thought as a little bit of a Christmas special, I'd just give you a little bit of a walk round our studios. So you can see, obviously, you're very familiar with this particular shot. That's us here in the uh, the studio, and that, that is my camera. So when we're uh, when we're recording, Carl likes to see himself. Carl's still here, by the way. Say hello, Carl. Hi. Yeah, Hi, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Uh, up on the wall, when we're in the kitchen studio, it's slightly different. It's, it's, it's kind of the same when we're over the conservatory studio only, but it's a just... But in, our, in, in the kitchen studio, we do have, and this is going to go a bit funny... You can see we've got a nice little TV on the wall here, which is how we watch what you guys see, okay? Uh, This is the beast that, uh, let's be honest, has been a little bit difficult uh, the last few days. This is a very powerful PC. It's an eight-core processor. It's an absolute beast. Um, This is uh, the little screen that I see. Uh, Let me just tidy that wire up there. This is the screen that I see. When we do the cameras... Uh, this is how I know which camera I'm choosing, where the sound is coming from. And you see in the bottom left-hand corner there, you can see w- when we put the pictures up, uh, that comes across um, from one of the other laptops, but I'll come back to that in a moment. You've probably seen with the wide shot when we've done it, we've got so many computers here in the studio, and this is just so that we have all the information you could possibly imagine at our fingertips. This laptop here uh, is where we read all our various stories from, and that's also where the pictures come from. You can see there's the story about the Airbus A380 uh, to fly from Birmingham to the, to the airport for the first time. Uh, this laptop here is the one that I do to do research and make sure that the YouTube, YouTube feed is working and stuff like that. Uh, over this side of the studio, we're going to go for a bit of a wander now. Over this side of the studio, you can just see there, that is an echo of the laptop I was looking at. It's basically just a, a, an ordinary screen. This that's how, yeah, this, that's how uh, Carl can uh, read uh, the stories that he's reading. And I, I have control over that, so I can really screw him up if I want to by moving it mid-story. I have done that before now just to be naughty. Uh, but uh, yes, and now we're going to go over to the audio side of things, and Carl's just going to talk you through that. Oh, right, okay. I'll grab the camera. Well, Matt gives me some extra cable. Hello. Oh, right. So, this is the audio side of things now. Uh, so, obviously, I have got in front of me here, as Matt said, the news story um, screen, which is all the news stories which I read my bits from. Yeah. And then over here. Uh, here we, go. <laughs> we all feel sick now. So over here, then we have uh, have, a, have a tablet which has got a studio uh, set up on, uh, which is playing currently playing the music at the moment here. Yep. And these here are all the various stingers we use through the show. Yeah, so the the, the, the military, so and the, the military, aviation yep, stingers, the new stinger. Yeah, and we can uh, I could just tap on these and they'll play whilst we're doing the show. Yeah, 
Uh, so that's a pretty awesome program. It is, isn't it? And, the and that's on your tablet, isn't that's it? That's on the tablet, yeah. yeah, on the tablet. And each side here at the moment is playing a jingle, but we have mm. um, the the feedback from uh, viewer, yep. uh, listeners yep. uh, goes in here, and we can list them and play back them here while we're doing the show. Fantastic. And then down here in front of me is another laptop, which I use for... Here we go. If we go back to our... There we go, our Facebook page. Yeah. Uh, there we there go. go. Hey. So this this laptop. The uh, yep, there's the Facebook page. I use this one to research stuff while we're doing stories, so I can click on Google and research different aircraft that we may be talking about in news stories, so I can have little snippets of information, Extra information, more and data stuff and things, about yeah. what's going on. Absolutely. Uh, and then there's my phone there, which yeah, as we're doing the show, <laughs> quite often goes quite off. often goes yeah. off unless I've turned it off on the silent. In which case, I'll be um, well, well, watching people send us messages on there. And if Absolutely, we go to, yeah. here we go, we go to my, here we go. There's a picture of me on my, oh, on my phone. On your little Cessna. On my little oh. Cessna, my solo flight. Yeah. So and there's my camera there, which yep. that's the camera that looks at me when I'm doing the yep. news story. So we have three of these cameras. Three They're these all cameras. Microsoft um, iLife 3000 cameras. They're yeah. all HD uh, all now because we, we've moved into HD, as some of you may or may not have noticed. So I'll hand the camera back yep. to Matt. There and we go. Uh, to, to, as I say, I was mentioned briefly how we we look at and choose the camera so that everybody can see what's going on. This is a oh, fantastic show them your little pro- phone thing. In that. Yeah, that's I will good. do. This is a fantastic little program called VMix. Uh, and version 16 is the one that we bought uh, for doing this with and it really is sort of broadcast quality you can do everything from if you were doing football matches you can do instant replays and all sorts it's a really amazing piece of kit and that's uh, the three webcams are basically tapped into that uh, and when we're doing the show just so that it's easier for me to do so you can see this is my phone here and you can just see that there's a little um, there's a little screen here uh, and that's how I pick which camera I choose from. So we'll go from this to the... If I scroll down, look, you can see I can go from there to the fade. And then we can go bring up the graphic. Look, see the graphics Ooh, come back. Graphic. And then if I press that button again, it'll come back to that. Or I can go straight to Carl's camera, which is over there. So, Carl. And, uh, or back to, uh, to our white uh, our white shot, oh, which is up on the top there. He's so, uh, so there we are. So that's a little walk through uh, the PT UK studios here in uh, here in uh, right on the Norfolk Suffolk border uh, as I say from all of us here we hope myself and Carl uh, we both hope you will have an absolutely amazing Christmas and a Merry New Year so give them a wave Carl goodbye everyone take care take guys care. we'll see you soon bye. we'll see you next year bye bye the Plane Talking UK podcast is a voluntary project that aims to keep you informed with the latest aviation related stories from newswires across the globe. Producing our content does cost money though. If you enjoy our show, why not help us keep on the air by making a donation towards the server and website hosting fees through PayPal? Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you an Amazon user? If so, why not do your shopping through the link on our website? There's no cost to yourself and Amazon pay us a small referral fee on qualifying purchases. To find out more about the show and to meet the team, take yourself to our website www.plaintalkinguk.com or find us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk on twitter via at plaintalkinguk or get in touch via email on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com thanks Thanks for for listening. listening so moving behind us to um well one of the largest displays here, I think, at the museum, and uh, I, I, I would imagine, imagine you're one of your favourites. Yes, this is the Dakota Four. Um, obviously, they were known under different names. There's C-47. It was by the Americans. The, the DC-3 was the um, transport version, the civilian transport version. 
but in, in this case the one we've got here is a Dakota 4 which was used in 45 by the RAF when in the Far East it was actually rescuing um, recently released POWs from the Japanese camps and taking them back to civilization it was also uh, attached to a, a squadron and it was an operational conversion unit that was teaching pilots how to fly DC-3s but it also supplied DC-3s during the Berlin airlift so we're still researching but we think that it's actually done a couple of trips um, during the Berlin airlift in 52 it was sold by the RAF and became GAMPT uh, an airliner with Eagle Aviation in fact there's a couple of DC-3s still flying in the UK at Coventry um, which have there's one GAMPZ for example it was um, sold by the RAF in the same period as this one and obviously they, they got um, related serial number or registration letters. Um, after serving in the UK with Eagle Aviation, it went to Africa, um, as East, um, Central African Airlines, and then Air Malawi, Air Mali. Then it was used for oil exploration by Hamid Exploration, finally ending up um, private ownership of this French guy called Wilbert Villa, he used to visit Duxford on air shows with it. Um, then Gilbert died and his wife sold it to some American outfit. And it finished up doing, um, I don't know what, in Bosnia during the Bosnian conflict. It even got a bullet hole patch on the other side of the fuselage. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, and, and then in '95, when the real war started in, in Bosnia, um, it came to Malta on its way to Algiers. Uh, had engine failure and remained on the island and that was finally given to the museum so um, we had to wait until the roadworks were done um, they were um, finishing up the, the roadworks for one of the first chogams that we had and once they finished and the roads were wide enough we, we transported it to the museum um, minus the wings um, took a couple of hours to do it <laughs> but it's also the aircraft as well I have to say it, it's uh what we say sort of naked of paint it's it's in its original um, yeah. aluminium and that, that does look stunning i think without, uh, the, without the paint on there it looks you know very very nice it's it's it is but uh, obviously it, it stood out in the open for a number of years before we could bring it over and there's a lot of corrosion underneath um obviously when you have the uh, the, the dew in the morning it would dry on on top of the aircraft but not underneath so there's a, a number of of uh, corrosion issues we need to tackle before we actually paint the aircraft. Um, this was ob obviously the ideal um, when DC-3 started flying, they were flying um, just bare metal, they used to polish them up. Obviously paint meant a lot of weight mm. on, on aircraft, um, so much uh, like um, American Airlines used to prefer to have them in, in metal finish and be able to carry more passengers then uh, actually paint them up and, <laughs> and carry less passengers because of the associated weight. Um, in the case of preservation, though, uh, not having any paint meant corrosion. Mm. <laughs> but uh, we, we experimented with polishing up some parts, some like in the nose section, and it polishes up very well. So it's, um, it's not that bad after all. <laughs> And the engines on this aircraft, are they uh, they're still uh, still attached to the aircraft? Yes, yes, and they're also in, in working condition, although we haven't run them for a while. Obviously, we cannot run the engines inside the hangar, um, and to take it out is a bit of a job. I mean, we have to remove <laughs> all the other aircraft. Yes. So, uh, for now, it's a bit 
we, we obviously take care of them and turn the propellers around so that they won't seize and this sort of thing. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll, be, it'll be so nice to see this aircraft flying again, Ray. So on, next to the DC-3 here, you've also got some, um, some engines on display, Ray. Yeah, this is a, a Sapphire. Um, this Sapphire was last used on the Javelin. Um, the aircraft had an accident on Malta and, um, and was scrapped. So this engine was eventually given to the, one of the local technical schools, um, who in turn eventually um, didn't want to use it anymore and gave it to the museum, as was the Avon over there, which was given to a newly opened school here on Malta called the Polytechnic um, way back in '63. The RAF um, sectioned the engine up, so on the other side you could see of the engine. Oh, yeah. But this is um, a very good um, educational thing that could explain to um, students the how a jet engine works. So you can see everything inside the aircraft, all the compressor blades, yep. and the inner workings of the aircraft. We'll get some photos of this. And um, down to this, it's starting method. This, this used to be started up by using cartridges. So when, when the cartridges um, exploded, the compressor there would go through these channels here and start spooling up the engine by turning this sort of like windmill thing. Obviously much faster than I'm doing. Wow. Fantastic, Ray. Rolls-Royce Avon. There we go. Six and a half thousand pounds of thrust. Yeah, in fact, Rolls-Royce used to um, name all their jet engines after rivers in the UK. But this is, in this case, this is the, the trend. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Spain. And it's onto a smaller, smaller engine here, right? What's this one? Turbo Mecca. Yeah, this is a helicopter engine. Um, and it's amazingly small. When, when you compare it with the engine on the Bell 47, um, which was a regular six-cylinder uh, reciprocating engine and was only capable of uh, lifting two people this is you could say that big about um, say a meter in length and could fly um, all, the, all those types of helicopters mostly capable of carrying at least four or five persons and the EC-145 which we see a lot in the UK yes, as well yes. and the Dolphin so they're all powered with this type of engine you could see the advance in, in aviation technology and engine technology. Definitely. Uh, moving round to the back of uh, of the DC-3, of the tail. Another engine here. What's this one, Ray? Yeah, that's the Goblin. That was used on uh, helicopters like the um, Wessex and the, the Sea King helicopters. Again... The size is about that much. This is the exhaust section of the engine, so it's not too big. So it's great to see these engines like this, Ray, to be able to see these engines like this. And on to behind the exhibit here, behind the DC-3 as well, uh, another helicopter which uh, which I see in the UK. And uh, what's this uh, helicopter here then, Ray? But this is the, the most famous one used in Vietnam. Um, in fact, this, this actually saw service in Vietnam, uh, this, this bell, uh, as an ambulance. Um, later on, it was purchased by the Finn people, 
I must have used it for when it was still airworthy in various other films. But we only know it was used for the film uh, Munich, uh, Tropic Thunder. Oh. And then um, it was brought to Malta for Brad Pitt's um, World War Z. World War Z, yeah, yeah. They had two of them brought over. One of them, they, they exploded in the actual film. Um, apparently, the director was happy with the first explosion, so he didn't have to explode the second one. And we were given it um, after the film, um, the filming ended. And you've still got the uh, rotor blades as well underneath. It doesn't have an engine. Um, but we have a gearbox for it, so we could we could actually attach the gearbox and and that's attach the rotors. It's still got a lot of parts missing though, because obviously going from one film to the next it would start losing parts by souvenir hunters and this sort of thing but still you know obviously in one large piece here right so it's still yeah, a great yeah. exhibit to have here and like I said a, hel- a helicopter which is still in use today um, ar- um, around the world it is um, this is the equivalent of rotary wing to the DC-3 I mean in, in, in various wars like the DC-3 was the DC-3 was even used in Vietnam as the Goonie Bird Fantastic display. So on to the next uh, exhibit here then, Ray. This is uh, a completely different uh, type of aircraft to uh, to what we're used to seeing. Uh, what's this, Ray? Uh, this is the Flying Flea. Um, this is a microlight aircraft um, introduced in the 1930s by a guy called Henry Minier. Um, he couldn't fly a proper aircraft and he couldn't afford to. So he designed um, an aircraft that any fool can fly or build. <laughs> Um, he's also an, an initially um, published plans in French for home builders to be able to build uh, th- this type of aircraft and after building to also to teach themselves how to fly in fact it's a single seater so the builder was expected to sit down read the instructions and, and fly off uh, it always uh, n- n- doesn't necessarily mean it happened all the time usually there's a lot of instances of them crashing and stuff like that um, now Henry um, later on crossed uh, the English Channel and introduced what became known as the Flea Fever in the UK. A lot of um, home builders build, building this aircraft, um, but it was um, all this type of flying was stopped by the uh, start of the Second World War. But, um, it was considered a bit unsafe, and in some instances, the rear wing would become more efficient than the forward one and tip the aircraft down in a dive. Um, but that was solved by actually elongating the fuselage. But as I said, because of the Second World War, then most of this microlight flying was stopped. Um, but this is the HM-14. Henry Minier continued designing about a hundred and something different, um, dif- different aspects of this two-axis aircraft, and a lot of them are still flying nowadays. And this is fabric and wood. Yes, um, we actually constructed it ourselves following um, the instructions um, published by Henry Minier um, to teach ourselves the uh, art of woodworking and, and fabric covering. So this, this was our first um, experiment at, at aircraft building from scratch. Well, you've done a good job, right? It looks, uh, looks fantastic. <laughs> you don't fancy uh, taking this one up... Uh, yourself then mm, we, we did taxi it uh, <laughs> passed taxi a couple of times but <laughs> it's not registered to fly so so what um, type of what type of uh, engines power is this then um, on this one we, we put a Citroen 2CV engine 
engine. Citroen 2 CV engine. Wow. But, um, in the 1930s, um, Henry Minier suggested anything uh, motorcycle-like, uh, so long as it's got two cylinders um, and they're cooled. So he, he used to um, uh, use something like um, engines from Indian motorbikes. And in the UK, they also used the Scott Squirrel, which was an engine uh, specifically designed for the flying fleet. The, the example that's exhibited at Shuttleworth, um, the Shuttleworth collection in the UK, actually has got a Scott Squirrel. But um, we, we used the uh, nearest equivalent. It's a French engine after all. I have to say, the cockpit, Ray, um, it wouldn't, um, wouldn't be good to be six foot tall. No, 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 it's uh, <laughs> very tight. And the seat doesn't look br- uh, uh, very comfortable. No, not neither. <laughs> but the um, uh, designer, Henry, uh, used to have a Harley Davidson motorbike with, with sidecar. So we think that um, he actually copied the, the shape of the fuselage from one of, the, uh, of his sidecars. Uh, yeah, it, it does actually. Yeah, now you say that, Ray. It does look a bit like a sidecar. But what an amazing aircraft! Right? I've never seen one of these before. Never seen one before. But this, they're very common in museums in the UK. Um, most museums actually have a flying flea hidden away somewhere. And, and the so wing design is just so it, it's so bizarre yes. uh, how it is. Um, in fact, most aircraft would have what we call dihedral. So they would be like on the um, Texan, you have the, the tip going up, the wing going up, there's a dihedral to give the, some stability to the aircraft. On the flying flea, what they done, what the design has done, um, the main spar is actually uh, like, like a, a bow. So to give, to give it the dihedral is actually, you put a stick in the middle when you're building, you put a piece of string on the, on the tips, and you pull the the main spar before you finish it t- until you get to the, the right height on the stick. I think it's about 18 inches. And then you glue the side of the main spar. And you give it, it's not um, straight, it's like curved upwards. Like you see um, most, most light aircraft, like these electric ones, uh, when they take off, like the recent one going around the world, once, mm. once it takes off, it, the, the wings bow upwards. And this, is, this was done beforehand during construction, sort of. Wow. Fantastic. So next on to the, uh, well, a helicopter exhibit here in this, in this hangar array. What's, uh, what's this helicopter here? Yes, this, um, taken in conjunction with the other aircraft next to it, is the start of the Maltese Air Force. Um, before... All the um, aviation aspects here on Malta is to be RAF or else visiting foreign um, nations like Italy, Germany and other, other countries visiting on exercises. But uh, in '72 we got given um, four of these, these uh, Bell 47s um, from Germany and they started what became known as the Tusk Force at that time which eventually uh, became known as the Air Wing. Nowadays we have one army under one brigadier but it's got three different sections, the land army, the uh, uh, maritime, and then the air wing. Um, so this, this gave the start to this um, uh, air wing. Now the Maltese Air Force is basically concerned with um, air sea rescue. So this was used um, at the time. We didn't have the problem of illegal immigrants as we have escalating nowadays. So they were used for um, searching for maybe lost fishermen who just didn't bother to take their radio with them and got lost with the engine stalled or something. 
and also used for uh, photography and teaching the local pilots how to fly helicopters. In fact, this one was retired quite recently after training the last batch of helicopter pilots that are now flying the Augusta Westlands. Um, then it had some flying hours left in it and it was flown to the museum and, and donated to the museum. Um, the other one is the Cessna Beardot. So this looks in good flying condition, right? It, it is. It's, in, it's still got a number of hours. It hasn't flown since delivered to the museum, but that's um, not a technical problem. It's a sort of procedure. Um, but uh, physically, it can it can actually fly. And also, one of the things I noticed as well, you've got, you have to notice when you see this helicopter, is, is the, the huge amount of uh, viewing Yes. Uh, that you can see from here is very uh, it's a very good aircraft like you said for helicopter four um, finding missing uh, seamen uh, it's, it's, uh, you, can, you can compare it to a sort of flying balcony um, yeah the view is tremendous from, from this type of helicopter the only, only um, th- thing they use the stone for is actually to keep the um, occupants a bit um, warm I warm. suppose but there were uh, the, the first um, exhibits of this, this uh, type of helicopter didn't have the, the actual bulb. So th- they used to have like a front and then open cockpit. <laughs> but I suppose they were very cold to fly in. Yeah, it's, 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 I've never seen one of these myself. I think, it, do they still fly? Uh, they obviously still use these around the world, I think, these particular type um, of aircraft, you know, right? They were very famous um, in that television series called MASH, Mash. when they used to bring in the injured soldiers on stretchers attached to these kids. Um, I think in the UK there's a couple flying for for displays during air shows. Um, Some other places might use them for crop spraying, um, but there's not many flying nowadays. Have you flown on one of these before, right? On this one, yes. You have? Yeah, yeah. Before it, it retired. <laughs> oh, wow, you're lucky. Very lucky. Not noisy at all? Very noisy, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, this is a six-cylinder um, normal reciprocating engine, which got to be at full throttle most of the time. So it's, um, as you can see, the engine is um, vertical, going into the gearbox, which in turn drives the, the rotary thing, and then they've got the shaft for the back propeller say right this i mean this looks now like you could just hop inside and um and and go somewhere go over the island exactly yeah so next to that uh, park next to send this is another of the multi-arm forces yes this Um, was the the first example of the fixed wing aircraft that the maltese air force acquired this um five of these were donated by the americans although these examples actually came from the Italian army in, in Italy. They still sort of like belong to the Americans, and um, once the donation was set, then they were just flown from Italy to, to Malta. Um, even the camouflage is, is still basically Italian army. The only thing that we've uh, changed is we've got, at the time, um, the military here on Malta used to rely on um, the civil registration, so it's got the nine hotel in this case, this is Alpha Charlie Bravo. And uh, nowadays, they've got the, the serial number like on that one. Um, they no longer rely on on the civilian um, registration. But uh, these uh, five paradoxes um, were again used as um, observation aircraft, training aircraft, and all sorts of other stuff. Um, this one a two seater. Yeah, this was um, uh, design-wise. The uh, American Army wanted to replace the um, aging L4s, which were, like I said before, the uh, fabric-covered ones. 
and they wanted an all-metal aircraft. So um, Cessna won the competition by producing a military version of the um, Cessna 170. Um, the Cessna 170 was a four-seater, but in this case, this is tandem, same configuration as the Piper L4. You have the pilot in front and the observer at the back. In fact, the observer could either face forward or backward, depending if he wants to fly the aircraft, he'll face forward. If he's going to act just as an observer, he'll be facing backward. Um, again, same amount of windows as the L4, um, but um, in this time it was all metal. So back in the UK, right, I'm learning to fly, and uh, the aircraft that I'm learning training in is a Cessna 150. Okay. And I have to say, it's very. this is a very similar-looking aircraft to the Cessna 150. Um, the only difference, I think, is that the the tail is slightly... Uh, sweeps slightly up, whereas the, the yeah, systems yeah, are very. Got a squarish tail instead. The, the, um, this was the last type of tail dragger. Uh, then they had the Cessna had the Skywagon, which had a, a sort of squarish tail, and then they went on to the Cessna 172, which um, acquired a nose wheel. So um, this is a bit um, iffy nowadays for pilots. Now nowadays used to um, nose wheel when as soon as you land all your troubles are over basically yeah. um, this um, all your troubles starts when when you land <laughs> because it tends to weather vane into the into the wind you see the longer moment and um, these are actually designed to operate from grass strips while here on Malta they used to operate from runways so a bit bouncy but it's still a great aircraft I'd, uh, I'd love to try and fly a tail dragger I have to say it would be nice to sort of see what that's like to, to uh to fly t- such as the DC-3 behind us here? Yeah, well, well during wartime it was the opposite, in fact. Um, they, they used to call the, the um, nose-wheel-legged aircraft uh, widow-makers <laughs> because um, obviously the only aircraft available uh, up to a certain time in the Second World War were tail draggers. So all the pilots that learned how to fly learned to fly tail draggers with the associated three-point landing or sometimes wheelers, depending on the type of aircraft. Um, Nowadays, uh, the uh, new fledgling um, trainee pilots that um, have sort of learned how to fly on Cessna 172s and 150s, when they go uh, um, to try and fly a tail dragger, they need to do a conversion course, a specialist conversion course, to get them start using the rudders much more than you do on Cessna 150, for example. This has got to be flown using the rudder. all the time that and the, the tiger mod then build the tiger mod um, is relatively easy to fly but it shows up your mistakes quite easily so it's a good as, as a trainer in fact all the other aircraft that are m- much too easy to fly aren't considered a good trainer because you sort of um, have a sort of false sense of security flying these um, foolproof aircraft and then you come across an aircraft which isn't so forgiving and it would um, basically kill you. Mm, I quite believe it. I quite believe it. Especially with our weather we have in the UK. <laughs> so we move on to the last hangar, Ray. So we're in the last hangar then here at the Malta Aviation Museum. And uh, standing next to another iconic aircraft. What's this one, Ray? This is the Vampire. It's, um, it's a T-11, a two-seat version. Um, this was the first type of jet that we had on, on Malta. Um, in fact, we Maltese used to know it as the whistle because of the different engine sound. Uh, so that we used to whistle along instead of the usual reciprocating engine noise. 
at the propeller. Um, this is uh, an aircraft that was goes back to the time when the Havilland used to build a Mosquito. So it's, it's got a wooden fuselage. Uh, the rest of it is uh, aluminium. I suppose um, the Havilland... Um, could not retrain their their carpenters. Good, <coughs> excellent, right? So, well, thank you ever so much for uh, your tour around the museum today. Just for the for the listeners of the show, how can they find out more information about the uh, the aviation museum here in Malta? Well, just visit our website www.maltaaviationmuseum.com, and there's the usual information on it. Brilliant. Well, Ray, thank you ever so much for your time on the show. It's been fantastic talking to you today. I, I feel very honoured to be here today. It's, it's been it's been um, a privilege for my holiday, really, to uh, to be here and talking with you. So, thank you very much for your time, and uh, and all the best for the future. Well, thank you, Carlos. Thanks. Uh, thank you. And thanks for um, actually thinking of the museum and doing this this thing. That it certainly helps us a lot in future projects if we had get more money mm. through the gate. <laughs> That's it. So for all the listeners of the show, then make sure you uh, come over here to the lovely island of Malta and uh, visit the Aviation Museum here at Takali. Uh, it's well worth the visit, and uh, you can probably come and see Ray as well, and uh, he'll uh, tell you some information on anything you want to know about. Yeah, you'll be most welcome. Okay, thanks for your time in, Ray, and uh, as I said, all the best. Thank you. Plane safety from the flight deck with Pilot Pip. was the night before Christmas, and out on the ramp, not an aeroplane was stirring, not even a champ. The aircraft were fastened to tie-downs with care, in the hopes, come morning, they still would be there. The fuel trucks were nestled, all snug in their spots. With gusts from 240 at 39 knots, I slumped at the fuel desk, now finally caught up, and settled down comfortably, resting my butt. When the radio lit up with noise and a chatter, I turned up the scanner to see what was the matter. A voice clearly heard over static and snow called for clearance to land at the airport below. He barked his transmission so lively and quick, I'd have sworn the call sign he used was St Nick. I ran to the panel to turn up the lights to better welcome this magical flight. He called his position, no room for denial, St Nicholas 1 turning left onto final. And what to my wondering eyes should appear But a Cessna-built sleigh with eight jet reindeer With vectors to final down the glide slope he came As he passed all the fixes he called them by name Now Ringo, now Tolga, now Trini and Bacon On Comet, on Cupid, what pills was he taking? While controllers were sitting and scratching their heads They phoned to my office and I heard it with dread The message they left was both urgent and dour When Santa pulls in Please have him call the tower. He landed like silk, with the sled runner sparking. Then I heard, left at Charlie and taxi to parking. He slowed to a taxi, came off on three zero, and stopped on the ramp with a ho, 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 ho. He stepped out of the sleigh, just barely on blocks, and I ran out to meet him with my best set of chocks. His red helmet and goggles were covered with frost, and his beard was all blackened from reindeer exhaust. His breath smelled like peppermint, gone slightly stale, and he puffed on a pipe, but he didn't inhale. His cheeks were all rosy and jiggled like jelly. His boots were as black as a crop duster's belly. He was chubby and plump in his suit of bright red, and he asked me to fill it with 100 low lead. He came dashing in from the snow-covered pump, 
I knew he was anxious for draining his sump. I spoke not a word, but went straight to my work, and I filled up the sleigh, but I spilled it like a jerk. He came out of the restroom and sighed in relief. Then he picked up the phone for an updated weather brief, and I thought as he silently scribed in his log, these reindeers could land in 500 metres of fog. He completed his pre-flight from the front to the rear. Then he pulled on his headset and I heard him yell, Clear! And laying a finger on his push to talk, he called up the tower for a clearance and squawk. Take taxiway Charlie, the southbound direction. Turn right 320 at pilot's discretion. He sped down the runway, the best of the best. Your traffic's a Cessna, inbound from the west. Then I heard him proclaim as he climbed through the night. Merry Christmas to all. I have the traffic in sight. Merry Christmas everyone and a safe and peaceful New Year. Hello, Carlos and Matt. This is David Abbey calling you from good old United States, more specifically New York. And I just want to wish you and Pilot Pip, as well as all of the Plain Talking UK listeners, a very happy holiday season and a wonderful 2016. And Matt and Carlos, enjoy your two weeks off from podcasting. You deserve a break. And I want to thank you for putting together this podcast because I know it takes a lot of time uh, to set up the recording sessions and to schedule them as well as the editing process. So um, big kudos to you. And just want to tell you a couple of the other podcasts I listen to which are great. Uh, Of course, our airline pilot guy and the Airplane Geeks podcast. The latter being the one that got me really into becoming an aviation geek and getting into social media and podcasts uh, listening. So I listen to you guys and the other podcasts while delivering the post in a suburb of New York City on Long Island. And fortunately for me, one of the approach one of the approaches to JFK Airport comes over the town where I work. So if the weather's right and the the landing patterns are in my favor, I say, I guess you'd say, I see a lot of traffic, usually about 3,000 feet on the turning final to JFK. And it's great. You get to see a lot of different aircraft from all over the world, a lot of heavies. And um, it's wonderful. So thanks again for all you do. And I'll catch you guys on the internet, on future podcasts, on social media. Be safe and um, take care. Bye-bye. This is Max Flight in Hartford. And this is David Vanderhoof in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, I guess we're giving a shout-out to our listeners over in the U.K. That's right. We wish Carlos and Matt and all the plain-talking U.K. listeners a fantastic Christmas and holiday season. And don't forget Boxing Day. And if you're going to fly in the United States, don't forget to register your drone on the 26th so you can go fly it. But Merry Christmas, guys. It's a fantastic podcast. We love our affiliation with you and Airplane Geeks and UAV Digest. And um, we wish you a successful 2016. That's right. Lots of aviation podcasts in 2016. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. To Matt Carlos and everyone who listens to the Plain Talking UK podcast from the House of Insanity. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year! Hi, it's Captain Al here at 36,000 feet, just passing to in France. 
just wanted to take this opportunity to wish all the Plane Talking UK viewers and listeners a very happy Christmas. Oh, Grant, come on. What are you doing playing with that turbine engine? And more importantly, how did you get it into the studio? It's not a turbine engine, mate. It's the thermometer. Oh, boy, and there it goes. Well, that can only mean one thing, Grant. It's, it's Christmas. Christmas. Oh, no. no. Good Lord, not Christmas again. Well, that's it. I'm out of here. I'm going to the beach. Bye. Whoa, 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 oh, whoa, whoa. Before what, you what? do that, before you do that, our friends up in the UK, where they're probably freezing right now, have asked us to do a Christmas greeting message for them. Yes, yes, of course. Well, happy Christmas to all you people up there in the UK. Rock, can I go to the beach now? No, no, you've got to make it better. I mean, you know, the UK, it's the home world. You know, tip, tip, puru, hurrah, the queen, what, what? Well, don't we, mention the cricket. Well, we can't mention the cricket this year. What about the rugby? I don't know anything oh, about no, rugby. Oh, no, don't go near the rugby. Yeah, the, the, the Poms are still recovering from that, uh, <clears throat> you know, World Cup. Yeah, they were gone in 60 seconds, it felt like. But, yes, um, anyhow, no, back to aviation stuff. Back to uh, aviation. Summer, well, summer well, yes. Summer, heat. that's exactly right. Well, there's nothing much else to say except uh, to all our friends over there at the Plane Talking UK podcast from all of us down here at the Plane Crazy Down Under podcast. A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and we'll look forward to seeing you all again in 2016. That's the one, mate. And if uh, our cunning plans to win the world lotto come through, we might even make it to Farnborough in July to meet up with everyone there. But until then, I'm going to the beach. Bye. Yeah, I'm off to get another lotto entry, but until then, there's always this beer. And we're back again. We Thanks are. for joining us again, as always. And did you all enjoy that? Yeah. I absolutely loved that. Yeah. Um, I've yeah. listened back to that personally myself twice. Mm. Uh, you, 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 you really, really got had a great I know. Um, wander around, didn't you? And he was so generous with his time, wasn't he? he? Yeah, he gave me, Ray gave me, you know, a, a good two hours wow. of his day. Yeah. And he's a very busy man. Yeah, you know, absolutely. He, you know, he yeah. had to leave me a couple of times during the, uh, during the day. Yeah to go and sort of see various people who yeah. were coming into the museum. Indeed. And he came straight back and carried on Carry where, on we where left he left off. off. Brilliant. And, yeah. you know, and his depth of knowledge and, and mm. stuff is just fantastic. And yeah. the, what they've had donated to him, you know, is, is, is really good, yeah. you know, I, sh- I shall make sure that, that, that that's where, that, that I, next time I go to Malta, I'll make sure I go and have a look at the, yeah. the museum. Um, we'll put a link to the Malta Aviation Museum on our Facebook page yeah. um, for those of you guys who are listening to the, uh, to the podcast. Indeed. Anyway, so, so this this is episode number ninety two. That's where we bring it to a close. Uh, we hope that your new year has been fantastic, and it's full of all the things that uh, you want to do. Let's hope that uh, twenty sixteen for you is a fantastic year, and it's certainly going to be. I've decided it's going to be a great year for you and me, Carl. I've already decided that. Really? Uh, yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's set in stone now. Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and uh, for those of you listening as well, uh, don't forget um, Farnborough. That's Farnborough. Stop it. Next year <laughs> in July, um, we, me and Matt are going to be going. Matt's hopefully, definitely going to be coming with me. He's going um, to grovel really nicely. I, yes. I'm going to um, bribe his uh, his uh, his boss. <laughs> good, good luck with that. Um, <laughs> because I've, all, I've got the accommodation booked. The yes. accommodation is yep. all booked for yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for me and Matt, yeah, and uh, we're going to be staying about f- five miles down the road from where the APG. Uh, guys are going to be staying cool. um, at their at their particular hotel, um, 
and we're hoping to meet up with uh, with Captain Jeff, Miami wow. Rick, and Doctor Steph. That's going to be amazing. Uh, yeah. At at, the, at their hotel, just for a quick get together before the show on yeah. Saturday and Sunday at Farnborough. So we're hoping to meet up with those guys on the yeah. Friday. We're, we're, um, we're also hoping to be able to put out a live show at Farnborough. Fingers crossed. That's that's the, that's yeah. the dream. Uh, and the TriStar van will be loaded appropriately <laughs> with all the broadcasting oh, equipment dear. you could possibly imagine. So we're hoping. Uh, technology permitting to do a nice little live show it may yeah. only be audio because we may struggle to do video but i'll, I'll give anything we'll try. give it anything you know me <laughs> I know. but no we, we we really do if any um any of you guys and girls listening to the show are going to be at farnborough next year yeah. um, hopefully you must you've, come you've and got say your tickets uh, yeah, you've absolutely. got to come and say hello yeah. we're going to be obviously having our, our plain talking uk t-shirts we'll have yes. on uh, if it's chilly we'll have our, our, our fleeces, fleeces on, on. Yes, um but uh, i mean you i mean for those of you who, who have been watching the live shows with me and matt and also the live show with uh, the APG crew, um, yeah. Jeff, Steph, and Rick. Yeah. I mean, you'll be able to spot uh, those guys uh, a mile off at the show. Yeah. Um, and come and say had, hello. We had, we had the lovely Dr. Steph on a few we weeks We did, back, yeah. We had yeah. Dr. Steph on. A, um, was, it last, was it last week we had Dr. Steph A few on? weeks ago. A few ago. weeks ago, yeah. yeah. Um, so hopefully you'll, you'll, uh, you'll be able to see us all there and come and say hello. Do, and yeah. Um, yeah, it'd be great to see uh, some of our listeners at, uh, at the Farnborough International Air Show. Indeed. 2016. Uh, to get in touch with the show, it's all the usual channels, www.plaintalkinguk.com. The email address is podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk is our Facebook location or our Facebook page. And our Twitter handle is at plaintalkinguk. And if you guys and girls have got some time, please, we would love some of your voice yeah, feedback. Yeah, we love it. Um, especially about the interviews that we've been putting yep. out from the, uh, from the Aviation Museum and the yep. Air Show. Yep. So if you've, got any, uh, if you've got some feedback from mm. those, that would be really cool. Definitely. Yeah. And we, we love receiving uh, con- uh, content as well. Yeah. People, people quite often send us uh, little links of stories that we might Yeah, have Ray Davis as well. Yeah, oh, he's big, a, big yeah, yeah, he's contributor. Huge contributor. Yeah, Ray, we really appreciate Ray. that. Yeah, absolutely. So for all of us here, uh, as I say, a very happy new year yes and yeah a very happy new year and hope you've all had a fantastic time and uh, all the best for 2016 Absolutely. from all of us here in the studio it is a very festive goodbye goodbye, goodbye. goodbye.